This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Open your Bibles to the book of Luke, the 18th chapter. Luke, the 18th chapter. Uh, I want to just uh, see if we can unfold this, break this down a little bit. And you're all familiar with this parable, this story that... uh, we find here in the 18th chapter that Luke gave. And uh, the Bible says uh, in Luke 18 and verse 1, it says, And then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart, saying, everybody say this, say, men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Say it again, men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Don't you love that verse? Here's the parable, he says. There was a certain city, there was in a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now, there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor fear or regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said, and shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Speedily. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes it seems as if heaven is quiet. Did you ever get that feeling that heaven is awful quiet? And and are you ever tempted to lose heart? Men ought always to pray and not lose heart, not get fatigued, not give up. Does that make sense to you? But the truth is, although heaven sounds sometimes as though it's quiet, God answers prayers. And if that were not the case, most of us wouldn't be here today. Literally and in this prayer meeting and in this prayer conference, we wouldn't be here. And here's the huge question. This is the huge question. Why does God sometimes take forever to answer our prayers? Anybody know what I'm talking about? How many of you have felt like it's just taken forever to answer this prayer? You know, I have some prayers that I've prayed for 30 years and still haven't been answered. Hmm? How about you? In fact, I have a prayer that I've prayed for 39 years and I haven't seen it answered yet. But God told me it's, I mean, it's answered in the spirit. I just haven't seen the manifestation of it. So in this passage of scripture, we see this wicked judge and we see a widow And we know that this judge has no compassion for her and has no respect for God or for man. Kind of reminds me of the man who was desperate, desperate, desperate for a loan. And he went to the bank manager and he's begging the bank manager for a loan, begging him. And the bank manager is a guy who does not care about God, nor does he care for man. And the guy is notorious for 
not giving loans. And on this particular day, this guy is begging so much. He says, okay, I'll tell you, I'll make a deal with you. He says, one of my eyes is a glass eye. And he says, if you could tell which one it is, he says, I'll give you the loan. The guy looked into his eyes. And this bank manager just stared right back at him, pan-faced. guy says, I think it's your right eye. Your right eye is the glass eye. He said, how did you guess? He says, I thought I saw a little glimmer of light in that eye. A little bit of compassion. There was just a little bit of compassion in that eye. This judge had no care for God, nor did he care for this woman. He did not fear God, nor did he fear man. He had no compassion in him. He's the big man. He's proud. And he's proud of the fact that he's in charge. He doesn't care about God. And my guess is that because he doesn't care about God, he probably cares a lot about money. Because the Bible says you cannot serve God and money. You either love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. And I found that that's something we should probably look at in our own hearts. You can't make money your God. So here we see a certain widow comes to him and she's asking him to get justice from my adversary. Get justice from my adversary. Well, who is this widow? Who is, who, who is the widow? Think about a person who's a widow. Think about it. Just think for a minute. Someone who, a widow is someone who's incredibly vulnerable. She's just lost her husband. More than likely, the husband was the provider, and she's been reduced to nothing, or she's been reduced to a lifestyle that she probably wasn't used to. Uh, she may have a little tiny nest egg left. She may own a property or a house or something, but now she has to face an adversary who desires to steal what little she may have left. And how many of you know that our adversary, yours and my adversary, the devil, is out to steal whatever you have. He's out to take your life. He's out to take your goods. He's out to take your children, your family. He hates you. The enemy hates us. He hates everything you stand for. He hates your children. He hates your business. He hates your church. He hates anything that gives life or brings life or gives glory to God. He hates it. Why? Because he hates God. And he hates everything that God has ever done that's good. Let me tell you something. There are no games here. When you go to pray, the seriousness of what and who we battle and war against is real. And you have to understand, the most more than anything, the devil hates God. He hates him. But you know, he could never do anything to God because the devil's nothing compared to God. You know, I, I, I'm always shocked at how many people say the, the devil and God are fighting. No, no, no. God is so far above the devil. The devil is a created being. If anybody's fighting, it's the devil and Michael the archangel or the devil and one of the, you know, maybe Gabriel, you know, one of the archangels. 
The devil was Lucifer. He was just a, he, and he's just a fallen demon. He's, a fa- not, he's not a demon, he's a fallen angel. But he's not God. God created Lucifer. He's just a rebellious angel. But he's a very powerful being. And he has dominion over earth. He is the prince of the power of the air. And God, through the redemption process, has brought you and I into a place that he's given us the earth and he's given us authority on earth. But there's a contest going on between what's, who's going to rule on the earth, you or our adversary, the enemy. Does that make sense? So why does the devil come after you and I? Because the Bible says that you're the apple of God's eye. You're the apple of his eye. We're precious to God. You know, I, have a, a, I love my boys, but I have a little girl. She's the apple of daddy's eye. You know, mess with my sons, they'll take care of themselves. You touch my daughter, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) You don't touch my daughter. You don't mess with my daughter, young man. (laughs) Don't mess with my daughter. You see, if the enemy can make a hit on us, It's like hitting God in his eye. You have to understand, if you and I take a hit or when you get uh, attacked, it's like God himself is taking a hit in the eye because you're the apple of his eye. Do you understand what I'm talking about? And so the enemy, he targets weakness. And the reason he knows how to do that is because he knows human nature. He knows that none of us are strong forever. How many of you know that there are days when you just get up and it's just like you're weak? You're not strong all the time, are you? That's why the Bible says, let the weak say, I am strong. There's days that we, I'm sorry, you can't just be strong all the time. There's days that you aren't strong. There's days that I need God's grace. There's days I need you to help me. There's days I need people around me to help me. Does that make sense? And we all have times of immense weakness in our lives. The enemy is thinking, you know, when it comes to this widow, he says, ha, this is some low-hanging fruit. This is easy pickings. Why? Because she has nobody. She's vulnerable. She's alone. You know, we know that here in Africa. The lion doesn't attack the herd. He goes after the old the weak, the young, the damaged, the hurt, the lame. See, the devil's no different. He says he's like a roaring lion. He's coming after you when you're in your weakest position. Here, this widow is vulnerable. But what the adversary didn't count on was this woman had a cry. This woman had a prayer. She decided to get herself to the judge and to lift up her cry. Get justice for me. That was her cry. Get justice for me. Now, you and I also have a privilege of being able to take our stand in the throne room of heaven before a just judge. And we also have a cry. We also have a prayer. Lord, 
get justice for me from my adversary. Get justice for me from my adversary. Now, I, I, I want to encourage you. You must never lose heart and you must never back down. That's what the Bible says. Don't become weary. Don't give up. Don't Men ought always to pray and not lose heart. Understand that whatever or whenever we stand before God and we stand before his throne, what we're doing is we're standing on a platform that rewrites human history. In the throne room of God is where you rewrite human history. It's the place that can and does rewrite your history. How many of you know God has an eraser? Did you know that? The Bible even says that. that God has an eraser. He can remove things. He expunges things. God also has a book of destiny that's already written. It's the purpose for your life. But he has another book called the book of life that records your life the way it is. Is everybody listening to me? And we have work to do in the throne room and in the courtroom of heaven. That's why we pray. But we can never back off against our adversary, against getting justice from our adversary. Because one of these days, the judge is going to answer in your favor. One of these days, the judge is going to answer in your favor. And let me tell you, yeah, go ahead, give the Lord a hand, amen? And here's the thing. The adversary knows that if you will not be moved, you are a ticking time bomb of the grace of God. Because God's grace is working on your behalf. It may not have happened yet, but this is not an unjust judge. This is a just judge. It's not a matter of if God will answer. It's only a matter of when Will he answer your prayer? Now, the enemy will do anything to keep you from praying. His main tools are three. Number one is distraction. Man, I tell you, I see Christians getting distracted. They'd rather listen to Christian music than pray. When Christian music or Christian television becomes a distraction... Let alone secular music and secular television and secular movies and everything secular. But entertainment can become a distraction from spirituality. Distraction. Number two, temptation. Temptation is one of the enemy's key tools in keeping you from prayer. And not only the temptation, but the guilt that comes from either succumbing to it or dwelling on it for too long. Number three, discouragement. If the enemy can discourage you, he'll keep you from the throne room. And he'll keep you from praying and he'll keep you from getting an answer from the just judge. I'm sure we can all identify with at least one, probably all three of these points. But God calls us. To gird ourselves up and we must always pray. He says strengthen yourself. It reminds me of David when he was pursuing an enemy. And he came back in his own city. The city of Ziklag had been attacked. 
and they'd taken his children, they'd taken the families of all of his men, their wives, their stuff, and he gets there and his men want to stone him. They're discouraged. They're distracted. And they're tempted to commit murder. The Bible says a very interesting thing. Now, I don't know if I'm as good as David. I think I probably would have had a pity party. I'm not sure I would have done what David did. But the Bible says that David prayed. He went and encouraged himself in the Lord. Encouraged himself in the Lord. That's prayer, folks. You encourage yourself in the presence of God. Whatever the enemy tries or does to you, whenever he comes against you, it's time for you to take a stand at the foot of the throne and make a demand in the courtroom of heaven, get justice for me. Not on the basis of my being right necessarily, but on the basis of my being righteous in Christ Jesus. Notice, the wicked judge helped the lady, not because he cared about her, because, but because she didn't shut up. She didn't shut up. She kept yakking and yakking and talking and speaking. And when she's done, the judge tries to stop her and says, hey, 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 listen. And she says, are you kidding? She says, you've not seen the last of me. You've hardly, I've just begun. This poor judge, because of her constant pursuit of the judge, he ceases to have a life. He steps out of his office, and there she is. Get justice for me. He goes out to dinner with his wife, and there she is. Get justice for me. He's at the shopping mall, and there she is. Get justice for me. Everywhere she goes, everywhere he goes, there she is. Get justice for me. You're the judge. Get justice for me. This woman is unrelenting. She doesn't just come to the courtroom. She's following him. Get justice for me. Get ju and finally, his wife and kids say, who is this lady? His friends are saying, what? who is this lady? His, he goes to the club, and there she is. So he says, I've got to do something. This woman is driving me crazy. And he answers her plea, not because he cares about her, but because he cares about himself. You see, that's not a picture of our God. In fact, the Bible, the Bible sets forth a contrast of how our Heavenly Father views us. He is not hassled by you and I at all. In fact, we're never an inconvenience to him. He loves it when we set our eyes on him. He loves it when we go to the Lord and we say, uh, you know, you're, we trust in you. He loves it when we, uh, the, the, the Lord says, I love it when you ask me as though I'm your only source. You view me as your, as your source. I love it when you come to me and you make a demand on my righteousness. I love it when you come and you trust me for my goodness and you know that I love you. He says, I, I, I just love that about you guys. See, this is a different judge. 
He says, I want you to know I hear you. I'm hearing you. I hear your prayer. The Lord loves the prayer of the upright. The Bible says that. And here's what the text says. It says, shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out to him day and night? You know, when this verse refers to us as the elect, <laughs> that's a term of endearment. That's a term that says, hey, I, I, you're my elect. I, I love you guys. It's, uh, and, and can I tell you something? The answer to this is, it, it's implicit in the question. Wait on God. Wait on the Lord. The Bible says, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Come on, folks. Wait on God. Wait upon the Lord. Now, the problem is that we all know that a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. <laughs> I don't like that verse, do you? I'm not sure I like God's calendar. Uh, but let me explain something to you. The workbench that God uses, the workbench that God has for your life has all the tools that he needs to refine our character. And unfortunately, waiting on him seems to be his favorite tool. Have you ever noticed that? Why does he make us wait? It has nothing to do with his ability or him being able to answer the prayer. It's to do the work in you that he needs to do. Does that make sense? How many of you have come to realize that quick answers don't change us? Quick answers offer little or no character change at all. Even in our children. Have you ever noticed when you raise your children that sometimes you have to withhold something for a season to teach them self-restraint? You can't just, every time, Daddy, I want what, Daddy. Have you ever seen a spoiled kid? I want, I, and, 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 and. No, but if you, if you, no, 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 I'll tell you what we're going to do. Let's see how your report card is, and at the end of the report card, if you've done really well, we'll reward you with. But it's going to take a term before you're going to get that. Do you understand that there's, even in our natural understanding, we understand that. Why? We're trying to build character in our children. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? Well, do you think that God's any different with you and I? This is one of my complaints about many of our teachings in Pentecostal and charismatic circles is that somehow we can stand on a platform and yes, we represent God and we say, yes, God wants to give you a miracle now. I'm not sure he wants to do it now. I'm not saying God isn't the God of now. He is. And I'm not saying God doesn't do miracles. He does. But we've fallen into a trap that we think that, hey, somehow we can make a demand on God now when God may be saying, no, I want to do a work in your character that may take time before you receive what I promised. 
Can, can you understand this? And that's why I even struggle more with this prophetic movement that you can buy a miracle in a minute. That you can somehow buy some holy water and that guarantees a miracle today. See, I, I'm thinking we're moving down a wrong path there because God's not nearly as interested in your miracle as he is in your character. Now, he's interested in both. Does that make sense to anybody? Tap your neighbor and say, I think he's talking to you this morning. Amen? Wait on me is what he says. Wait on me. What is it with God with this whole waiting thing? What is it? He says, I will answer and I will deliver in my time. He said, I'm going to put you on hold right now. And while you're on hold, I'm going to put you into the fire. I'm going to turn up the heat and I'm going to see what happens as you receive my command to wait on me. Well, now what? What are we supposed to do? Well, he says, while I have your attention, let's get started. Let's start on A and let's see if we can't work all the way through Z. He'll use the season of delayed answers to begin to transform everything about us. I've been waiting for some things for years and years and years and years, and I know that I'm in the furnace of God. I know that he's refining me. Here's some things I've learned. I've learned some of the things that I thought were so important that I needed so badly, I don't even want them anymore. It's been refined out of me that those things don't even, I don't even have value on those things anymore. But at the time I prayed, I thought I needed that so badly. I would have done anything for that. And now I look at it and I think, oh, how foolish I was. Can you relate to that? Tap your neighbors. I know what he's talking about. You see, when you wait on the Lord, you're actually on an accelerated pathway. Do you want to be healed or do you want to be changed? See, I, I, I don't know, but when I read the scriptures, I see that there were 10 lepers that were healed but only one that was changed. Are, are you following? Only one had a grateful heart. Only one was made whole. Only one was made whole. The others, they got healed. Some of us settle for healing when God wants to make you whole. Do you want a quick fix or a permanent result? You see, don't be mistaken. Waiting on God is very controversial. It is. Why? Why, why is it so controversial? I'll tell you why. Because everyone has an opinion about what's happening. Everyone has their own theology about what's going on. You know, I, 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 I love church. I, you know, I'm a pastor. And I, and I love watching you worship. Every one of you love the songs when we talk about waiting on the Lord. Wait. You sing those songs. Lord, we wait on you. Uh, I'm saying, uh-huh. And, I, and, I, and, I, and, I know, and you love the sermons about wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. We love the sermons and we love the songs. We just don't like waiting. 
It's just the actual doing it that we don't like. Nobody likes to wait. See, true waiting on God isn't for the lazy. It's not for the faint-hearted. It's not for the complacent. Waiting on God will require every reserve in your soul. I think of a man in our church, and I mean, I watched him wait on God. I, I, I saw God working in his life, and I mean, he, his business went totally out. He got caught in deals that people didn't pay him. The government didn't pay him. People didn't pay him. He's lots of money in debt, lots. When I say he's lots of money in debt, and he could have done like many people and just washed his hands and walked away from it. But he determined in his heart, he said, no, he said, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to wait on God. Ooh, I'll tell you what, he's waiting on God and everybody had an opinion. His mother-in-law had an opinion. His father had an opinion. His father-in-law had an opinion. His wife had an opinion. His kids had an opinion. His creditors had an opinion. The newspapers had opinions. And every day I get a phone call. Pastor, I don't know how much I can take of this, but I want to trust God. I can't pay my school fees. I can't, I, I don't have food for the table right now, but I know God is going to come through. I don't want to dishonor God. I have a sure word from God. Pastor, I've aligned myself with the vision of the church. I've aligned myself with the vision of the house. I've aligned myself with God. Surely God can deliver me. And the next week gets worse. And the next week gets I began to feel like one of Job's counselors, you know, hey, curse God and die. <laughs> no, I never said that. No, I stood by this man. I walked with him. And then I began to see a little glimmer of hope, a breakthrough. He, can, he would go and he'd speak to all of his debtors, all the people he owed. He worked out deals. He worked out contracts. Pretty soon that debt came down from millions to hundreds of thousands. And hundreds of thousands to, I'm paying my school fees. I'm, things, hey, things are looking, I'm out of debt. Things are looking great. I've been restored. But, but... Everybody's talking about the miracle now. But I'm telling you, I see a work of character. I see that this guy had to go talk to every one of his debtors. He had to negotiate. He has kept people that said, we'll never do business with you again because he talked to them. And they're doing business with him again. He worked through his issues. He worked through. And God built something in him that can never be taken away from him. Waiting is sometimes the most violent thing you can do, especially when the circumstances that you find yourself in are screaming at you. Do something. Do anything. See, people give you all kinds of advice on what you should do when you're in trouble. And it's usually a shortcut. It's usually don't wait. But God says, wait on me. Just, just wait on me. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. How, how do you think David felt when the enemy, but he waited on God. 
He never went to war without asking God. Now what? And God never gave him the same instruction twice. One time he says, frontal attack. Next time he says, no, no, go around behind, ambush them. Next time he says, no. He says, hide in the trees. And he says, when you hear the sound of the wind blowing in the trees, he says, I'll make it sound like an army. Then attack. Wait on me. Wait on me. You see, we need to do whatever we have to do to stay in faith. To stay in faith. There's times you have to tell people, I'm sorry, I can't make it to the function you've asked me to come to. Or, no, I, I, I can't read that right now. Or, no, I, I, can't, I can't do what you're asking me to do right now. I'm in a place of faith. I'm in a place of waiting. I, 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 no, I, 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 I don't want to watch television right now. No, I, I can't go to the movie. No, I, I, you know, I, I, need to, I actually need to be alone. I need to go and get in the prayer closet right now. I need to pray. I need to wait on the Lord. It says in the text here, it says that God bears long with us. God bears long with us. God is, God is long-suffering. We always talk about our prayer of long-suffering. We think we're long-suffering. The Bible says God bears long with us. You see, he's our advocate. He's our defender. And as we're praying and seeking him for justice, he's doing a work on the inside of us. Now understand, justice demands restoration. And in many cases, it also demands restitution. Let's take a look at Joseph. What is justice for Joseph? Well, restoration would say, Joseph was in prison, so restore him back to his freedom. But hang on. Restitution says, I'm going to get more for him. He was in the place of prison for 10 years. Let's give him his freedom. And, uh, oh, oh, I'll tell you what. Let's give him the palace as well. Let's give him second in command of Egypt. Let's see if that doesn't restitute. You see what I'm saying? Ten years he had to wait. Ten years he prayed. Ten years he suffered long. But God wasn't interested in just restoring him out of prison. He said, no, no, I'm going to make some restitution here. I'm going to get something else for you. You see, restoration is all the things that were lost. But restitution says, wait a second. What would have been without the season of prison? Or what would have been without the adversary plundering in your life? He says, let's repay that. Let's take a look at Job. Remember Job? Some of you have never read this book because you thought it said Job. <laughs> Restoration for Job says, give Job back everything that he lost and what was taken from him. But wait a second. Restitution says, for all the hell that he's gone through, for the death of his children and his animals, for the chaos, the storms, the loss, it's not enough. Give him double. Give him double. You understand? Are you getting the picture? By the way, most scholars agree that the book of Job was the first book written in the Bible. It was the very first book. Why would God have that be the first book? I know you think Genesis, but Job was probably written before Genesis. And probably read before Genesis was written. Because Job is a story of what is going on in the throne room. It's a story of what's going on in the spirit realm. And God wants you to understand 
the work of the realm of the Spirit. Think about Elizabeth. Remember Elizabeth? Elizabeth is barren her whole life. And for the length of the ordeal, for the embarrassment, for the pain, for the shame, God says, not only will you get a baby, but it'll be a boy. And on top of that, he'll be a prophet. But not just any prophet. This will be John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah. Elijah, if you will. Proverbs 6 and verse 30 and 31 says this. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he's starving. Yet if he's caught, he must repay sevenfold, though it costs him all of his wealth and the wealth of his house. If a thief is caught, he has to pay back sevenfold, even if it costs him his house and the wealth of his house. It's the Bible. I believe that this year, in the year of 2018, now, we start qualifying for restitution. Restitution. See, you were thinking one thing, but God has more for us in his heart than we do. If you heard the message last night, I think it bears witness that God is taking us out of constraint into a very broad place. The boundary lines are going to fall for you in very good places. He's saying, I want to give you more. I want you to qualify for restitution. But I have to walk you through a wilderness first. I've had to take you through a fire first. Is it possible that God may not be answering your prayers because he likes you? He actually likes you? Some of us have been asking for restoration, but now he is asking us to ask him for justice and for restitution. Why? He's wanting us to have a new authority in the realm of the spirit. And he's desiring us to plunder the adversary's house and take seven times what has been taken from us. Let me explain something to you. Some of you have been in prison some of you literally have been in prison. Others in a spiritual prison or in a hard place. Uh, let me tell you what happens. When you're in prison, you make friends with the people in prison. Did you know that? Your other fellow prisoners become your friends. Did you know that? So when I get out, I want the authority to get them out too. I want them out now. Think about Joseph. Here he is in prison. Remember what he did to the baker and the cupbearer? He says, hey, please, when you get out of prison, would you just remember me? I'm not, I, how many of you are, some people shouldn't be in prison? They're good people. Hey, just, just remember me. What did Joseph do when he got out of prison? Joseph was handed authority over everything in Egypt except the throne. What did that mean? What did that mean? He was in charge of everything, including the very key.
keys of the prison that he'd just been released from. Are you listening to me? Now, I know it's not in the Bible, but I think we can use our imagination. Maybe one day Joseph decided, that, hey, I'm going to go back to the prison. And he began to remember some of the people that had been helpful to him in prison. And he began to find his friends in the prison, and he began to bail them out. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or, well, that, wasn't, that, that was Daniel, but, uh, or maybe some of his friends. He began to bail them out. When Joseph came out of prison, he came out with authority over the prison that he had held him. He had authority to plunder the house of his adversary. He says, because I have friends in there, because I have unsaved family in that house, I want to get them out. How many of you know that the Lord bears long? Now notice what the word of God says. The Bible says he will, spin, he, will, he will avenge them speedily. He will avenge them quickly. Habakkuk 2.3 says, For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come. It will not delay. Though it tarry, wait for it. Wait for it even though it's tarrying. For it will not tarry. He bears long so that he can change things speedily. You're going to find this principle throughout the Bible. David ran from his adversaries. And he ran from Saul for 10 years. And suddenly one day, boom, he's king and he's in the palace. Joseph, nearly 15 years of being ostracized and imprisoned, then boom, he's the prime minister of Egypt. Long years of suffering then boom, a suddenly, a suddenly takes place. Think about it. Noah, 120 years he built an ark. Boom, one day it began to rain. Long suffering. Abraham and Sarah waiting for the promise. It seemed impossible. Her body and his body being dead. Boom, then came Isaac. Daniel waited in captivity for 70 years and then prayed. And even then he had to wait another 21 days while his prayer being hindered by the prince of, the, of Persia. Michael comes and Gabriel shows up and says, hey, boom, it's all changed. It changed the day you prayed, but I was hindered by the prince of Persia. Folks, we're in such a season right now. I think some of you have been praying, you've been long-suffering. And you thought God wasn't answering your prayer. I'm telling you, God's working character in you. And God's trying to set you up for restitution, not just restoration. God's trying to get some people that when the shift, and it is happening, the shift in government's happened. But if you are going to think just like our government ministers do, then we have the same old thing. But if you've been restored and God's done a work in your character, you can now stand and he can entrust to you true riches. He can give you true authority. You can plunder the house of your enemy. God's doing something in our lives. I want to encourage you. 
Don't grow weary. Men ought always to pray and faint not. Amen. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.